not mean division in community. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without creating division in community. I am your host, your co-host, Matt Fisher. I'm the care pastor here at Hill City, and I'm here with my co-host, your co-host, our teaching lead <laughs> pastor team member at Hill City, Mr. John Wagler. Wags, hey, yo. what's going on? It's hoodie season. You, where'd you get that hoodie that you're wearing? This it's, one this is athletic H&M. gray. Really? Yeah. It's a heathered gray ago. for those. Uh, this is <laughs> for a, those of you not a wondering. visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Here's just the reality. I this season of time is great because it's still kind of warm. Yeah, because you know? you're not a snow guy. Oh no, not at all. Now is it just the snow that you hate, or you don't like cold? Both. Okay. And so, but this is like great because it's like you know, like when I leave here today, I'll probably take this hoodie off. Yeah. Because it'll be like warm enough. Yeah. And I just really enjoy that. And I just wear a lot of hoodies. I had the re- I had the realization the other day that um, when I say I like the cold, what I mean is I like dressing for the cold. Right, I don't yeah. actually like I will almost overdress a little bit to make sure I'm not my body's not cold. Right. But I like yeah. that. I'm one of those people who likes the feeling of like being under a blanket and the like the room being a little too cold. Yeah. I don't know. What do you keep your temp at? Um, right now, I mean, we, we hover around like 70, 68, 70, but my wife grew up, you know, much like you grew up in like a very snowy environment. Yeah. So she doesn't have any interest in like saving money on heat. I mean, she, she will, she will crank the heat once it starts to snow. Yeah. She's like, I won't be warm when I'm in my house. Well, I'm excited because this is probably the first year we can do it um, because Ruby's four now. But before Ruby was born, we always used to see how low we could go before we turned the heat on. I remember you you guys. So I think we're going to do it this year. When I exciting when you and Joe Miller, who also works here, were like exchanging thermometer uh, or or thermostat (laughs) pictures. Jenny was offended. (laughs) She was like, why would you? (laughs) Fifty four is the low. That's the record. No so. thanks. Yeah, we had that in our house, uh, but it was because our heat was broken and we were yeah. all like keeping warm by a fire. Um, speaking of keeping warm by a fire. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> we are going to be in our second week of uh, talking about heck. heck. Um, last week we talked about just sort of like general overview, kind of what our history was with the concept and then what the four overarching views were in Christianity. Yeah. Um, and then today we are going to drill down a little deeper. But before we get into that, let's do our new segment for 2021 where we talk about what's going on on social media. It's called Wags. What's mm. going on on the Twitter? <laughs> Wait, are you on Twitter anymore? I am. You lurk. You don't ever post. I, yeah, I don't ever post. Um, so Instagram with Trey Kennedy. I think I've talked about him before. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I haven't. He's funny. Okay. Like legit. So we were watching the other night. He does this thing with like middle schoolers mm-hmm. and he just impersonates middle. And we were almost in tears because he does this whole bit and mm. it's like him playing video games and mm. just act, and it just reminded us like so much it's like this universal middle schoolism you yeah. know and so there's this one part of this this video that got us um was he's on a swivel chair mm-hmm. and his mom comes in and is, you know yells mm. at him whatever he's like mom i'm putting on my led lights and like freaks out <laughs> but like we were dying because that was max like <laughs> max's room <laughs> 
has these LED lights. And every time I come home and if it's at night, I'm like, oh, my gosh, because it's like either purple or red no. or he has it like rotating colors throughout the day. He has like ground effects in his yes. room. Yes. Anyway, and he is beyond excited about it. And so That's anyway, so funny. He's funny. Trey can have some like funny. He has some funny bits on. I think his two funniest things that he does are middle schoolers uh-huh. and um, fall. Fall. fall girls you know it's funny fall well he is fall like girls oh, in fall oh you know so like he 20, does like videos on his instagram yes yeah uh, so those are his two like kind of like what's his name again trey kennedy okay i'll check it out yeah um i'm i'm bereft of uh clean comics i don't know anything <laughs> about them but i would love to know more um anytime i encounter like a christian comic or a clean comic that's actually funny i always just feel bad because i'm like Jim Gaffigan is this, but he somehow has crossover. I don't know how he got crossover appeal. Like it feels, I feel bad for artists that are like relegated to the Christian like market. Trey's not, no, he's not like blatantly Christian. Right. I think he is one, but like he, but he is clean. He's not working blue as they say. (laughs) Um, cool. Well in my feed, I, I talked about this earlier. Um, is uh, what I have been describing as the horror equivalent of Ted Lasso, uh, Midnight Mass. It is a Netflix show that, as a pastor, I cannot recommend for you to watch. Uh, it is a scary, scary show. It's actually it's not that scary, but it is definitely like a uh, creature feature. You have a high bar, though. I I don't compared to some people. Yeah, I can't well, I watch mean, The Ring. <laughs> like, I, there's lots yeah, of stuff I can't. Well, when watch. I was listening to you and Annabelle and Daniel talk about movies. <laughs> I was like, y'all are messed up, man. So. <laughs> but um, Midnight Mass, uh, the reason it's the it's spooky Ted Lasso is because it's like the, the show that all Christians are talking about right now. Okay. Um, it is uh, just a really fascinating, like kind of low, sort of like slow boil, scary um, kind of monster flick about um, a priest in this little town on an island who suddenly like is able to do miracles but there's like something sketchy about it mm-hmm. um it's really not demon it i can tell you one thing it's not demon stuff uh it's monster stuff but um it is this great like bruxy cave has been talking about it um caitlin um from the holy post mm-hmm. and one of the other guys that's occasionally on the holy post they did a podcast about it called voxology and they talk about it um and i've just seen a bunch of discourse going on with like theology students yeah um at uh, Duke and one of the other fancy theological <laughs> seminaries. Um, and it's just good. It's like a great, um, it, actually, it's probably less like Ted, Ted Lasso. It's like Mars Hill if Mars Hill had a monster, an <laughs> actual monster, the Mars Hill podcast. It's just like a, a great like mirror to, A, this is an honest um, assessment of like how um, people who have been hurt by the church feel sometimes. Right. And Bruxy said a really great thing, which is kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to explain what he said without giving away the show. And the show is very based on like a reveal. Um, but Bruxy said like that it was a great example of when we as Christians um, tend to rewrite First um, Corinthians 13 to be um, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is faith. Mm. It's like about what happens when we put um, like our faith or our like devotion to our, to our practice over like love for people. Okay. Um, so again, if you're not in, if you're not into scary stuff, don't watch it. Right. But if you can handle like pretty, uh, you know, pretty scary stuff, um, I think there's something to be said and there's nothing, there's no, um, like sex or, uh, there's actually not a ton of terrible language, but, um, there's, there's no like sexy stuff in it. It's yeah. just a little spooky 
right. monster thing. But um, that's definitely what's going on in my feed. I will not partake. You're not going to watch it. I wish I, like, I literally thought, I wish I could cut the scary parts out of this and make John watch it. <laughs> because, oh, it's so good. But. Uh, yes, I would not recommend that you watch it. Um, cool. All right. Well, speak, speaking of spooky speaking stuff, of spooky. just like segue after segue, I, I am killing it. And today. I'll say this ironically, or maybe not ironically, <laughs> I don't even know. My inability to engage some of the stuff you're talking about has a lot to do with how I was raised around this topic of hell. The, there you go. It's so. just, yeah. And, uh, my, my inability to meet the bar that some of my friends have for what's <laughs> scary, what they can handle <laughs> Also has something to do with yeah. how we were raised. So let's get into it. Y'all know we stay curious over here. Okay, yeah, heck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, heck, the devil. <laughs> uh, what was the old uh, church lady? You remember that? Dana Carvey's yeah. like a Satan? Maybe it was Satan. <laughs> that was like one of the first impressions that I ever uh, impressed That's my not friends bad. with. Oh, maybe it was Satan. <laughs> um, so yeah, we kind of last time went over what are the general four overviews, I guess, of like yeah. orthodoxy. Um, and that's, uh, eternal conscious torment, ECT. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the belief that like, you know, more of a Dante's Inferno scenario where there's actual, um, I don't want to say torture always cause some people believe that it's just like separation, but conscious yeah. separation from God and the pain that goes along with it. Yeah. It that. might be like torment. Torment. Might yeah. be a better word. Like it just, you, the separation. Yeah that's there is significant and you continue and you can, to exist you with it. You feel it. Right. Yeah. Good. So there's that, um, there's the purgatory view, which is that you kind of go to an in-between place, yeah. um, where, you know, a variety of different things can happen, but you can definitely still get into heaven. Mm -hmm. There's, um, Christian universalism, which mm -hmm. is eventually, um, you know, God is sort of drawing all things to himself or Christ is drawing all things to himself. And so eventually everybody gets there. Yeah. Um, what was the fourth one? Conditionalism. Conditionalism, ours, yeah, <laughs> mine. The one that I am, maybe because it's good theology, and maybe because the word annihilationism is the most heavy metal theology <laughs> word. <That's> true, <laughs> or maybe both. Why can't it be both? Um, yeah. So then there's conditionalism or annihilationism, in which um, there's the belief that there's sort of the second death, or that you, yeah, your body dies, but then your soul can also cease to exist, depending on how that judgment day goes for you. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, today we wanted to kind of touch maybe a little bit a bit uh, a little bit about the history of these, what the biblical support is, because there is biblical support for all four. Like they wouldn't have made it two thousand years, yeah, if there wasn't something to it. The one that I would say, just off the top, not yeah. as like a spoiler, but the one I would say that is probably the hardest to have biblical support for. Matter of fact, to a level of like I'm, I couldn't really even find verses okay. <laughs> for where. Okay. Um, was purgatory agreed so yeah that's the one that's like and in like kind of fairness to our catholic brothers and sisters who you know believe in jesus and mm -hmm. everything too um they would even admit that that's been like a progressive thought pattern yeah not necessarily based off of scripture but based off of like this idea of let's pull everything in kind of together of like um, what we think about mm. all things Jesus and all things, you know, salvation and death and everything, and and what's something that might make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, it's not like it's like void of scripture. There's some ideas of like kind of like the holding place element mm -hmm. of like you know, is there this in between that some scripture can like glance over at, but like it's hard to actually have a verse that would be like. 
this is where we get this from and right. this is why without losing it when you get really into context. Yeah, and if there's one thing that I think again, our Catholic brothers and sisters would agree on, is that Catholicism values tradition. It also mm. values scripture, and it also values yeah. the spirit and stuff, yeah, but it yeah. values tradition. And so in that context, I've heard it said by Catholic folks that like, if an idea from early on, so a theological idea that is not canon, so not in the Bible, but is from those first two or three centuries, if it sticks, it's kind of like, yeah. yeah, it probably was a good idea sure. because we value the tradition aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I think, like you said, it... It probably has the least amount of actual. Yeah. Of course, the rebuttal that I've heard from a Catholic friend of mine was like, yeah, but the, like the Trinity's not really in there either. And I was like, mm, there's an argument. You're wrong, but there's an argument. <laughs> well, well, and they also believe in the Trinity. Yeah, but like which the, is why it was okay for. Yeah. <laughs> to say and that. there's, you know, and obviously like they, uh, you know, Catholics also have like the Apocrypha. In the yeah. Bible. So there's some different mm-hmm. elements within their faith, which is like, I'm not even saying like it's bad or horrible yeah. or anything like that. It's just that is a piece of it that's hard to actually use the Bible for Hmm. kind of justification around purgatory. Yeah. So in your studies, what did you kind of learn about the history, both scripturally and I think we should probably focus on because of the purgatory aspect of it and because of the fact that as non-Cat, like as Protestants, we would have a harder time speaking into that. Absolutely. We should probably focus more on the other three. Yeah. Um, So if universal, Christian universalism, um, conscious torment or traditionalism, um, and which it always bugs me when they say traditional because like what, who's tradition, (laughs) but um, uh, conscious torment, um, Christian universalism and conditionalism. What did you kind of learn in your studies about how those things came to be popular? What, what their scriptural sort of support is? Yeah. So, I mean, if you really go back in time and start looking at some of this stuff, like even like all the way back to origin um, with like Christian universal universalism and stuff like that. Origin was an early church father. O R I G E N. If you want to look it up. Um, and some stuff gets attributed to him as a speaker or as a teacher that he did not actually say. Mm -hmm. And so there, he actually does have a lot of good in terms of how he viewed, um, not just, um, what happens with hell and judgment and everything, but even how he viewed scripture. So, So sometimes he does get a bad rep, but I think his reputation is actually starting to get restored a little bit like these days. Yeah. Um, because I think some stuff that people thought about him, they're kind of finding, you know, maybe he wasn't all bad, you know, yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you look at medieval times, like had like a, a big influence in particular on uh, eternal conscious torment um, as uh, just a reality. And some of that is just how we view like punishment and like wrath and um, some like so some of that stuff and how like some of the visions and some of the uh, or I should say like not even visions the mm. the way people would portray certain things come from even like their their longings and medieval writings and stuff like that so there's just a lot there historically that I, I mean honestly you go back to the Nicene Creed yeah. like there are um, which was you know written in the 300s there people who wrote that which is a founding like document and statement for Christianity. Mm. People believe different things, even within the context of uh, who wrote that, you know, when it comes to this idea of hell and judgment. Yeah. Another one is St. Gregory. Um, I think it was St. Gregory of Nyssa. He was the Bishop of Nyssa. He was a universalist sort of forefather, mm-hmm. um, very much along the same lines and and was involved in the writing of the Nicene Creed. Yeah. Um, and so to think that like 
somebody who held that high of a rank, like to be the Bishop of Nyssa at the time or Nyssa, uh, was a, I mean, yeah. not quite the Pope, but like you were pretty high up in the early church. Certainly um, had a lot of influence. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That you could see where that sort of influence would come. I think the big takeaway for me from learning some of that stuff before we get into the scriptural support of it is like, it ain't new. Like we kind of talked yeah. about that last time, like yeah. this idea that in our culture, we sort of, first off, we unduly associate universalism with Unitarianism, but right. Unitarian universalism is very different than very, Christian very different. universalism. So yeah. we associate it with that. And then we associate the UU movement, which fairly, we associate the UU movement with more progressive mm-hmm. um, sort of hit, uh, 60s era, um, new age spiritualism and stuff like that. Yeah. But that sort of doesn't actually have a ton of bearing on actual Christian universalism, which goes, Correct. like you said, all the way back to first or second century. Yes. Um, and yeah, the creeds that we yeah, base I mean, our the, stuff on. Yeah, I mean, the difference between like universalism and Christian universalism or the Unitarians and Christian, you know, universalism is actually like massive. Yeah, huge. I mean, I mean Unitarianism is there are many paths to God yes. or, or really all paths lead yeah. to God and thus to heaven. Christian universalism is like, Pretty orthodox, actually. It really is. It's just... Yeah. I was listening to a guy yesterday. um, His name's Robin Perry or Pari. Um, But, I mean, he was going through, like, true Christian universalism. And it was just interesting because he was talking about, we believe that everything flows through Jesus, that sin is real and it's a really big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, The holiness is a priority. Uh, You can't just live how you want to. God is just and judgment is real. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And like that, and that's how they still came to this belief of Christian universalism. So like, it's a very significant difference than, you know, if someone's like coming from Unitarian and you know Unitarianism. Yeah. So what did you find out? Uh, did you find any scriptures that sort of um, support this idea that like I know there's all things will be reconciled to yeah Christ, you know In Colossians. Yeah. Did you yeah. find any scriptures that that us? Yeah. You know us? that one's interesting because it's funny. Like I was reading this book called The Four Views of Hell, and so what people do is they they state their view, and then the other writers basically like kind of press in on their view. And so anyway, it's interesting. So you know you have Romans five eighteen, uh, which says consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So the premise there is, and then contextually, I I don't agree with this one, but like this is one of the verses that they use. But yeah. uh they they would say like if you believe all sin mm-hmm. was for all people Mm. And then, and then you base it off of this verse. Yeah. Then you also have to turn and say, like the idea of God reconciling all people mm-hmm. is also applied in the same manner. Yeah, yeah and it's so sort of a vis-a-vis yeah. kind of argument. Yeah, so that's that's one that they use uh, Romans eleven thirty-two, for God has bound every uh, everyone over to disobedience, so that He may have mercy on them all. And, you, and this is language about all is is constantly there. You mentioned Colossians 1, mm. you know, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, make, uh, by making peace with his blood shed on the cross. Mm. Um, Philippians 2, 10 and 11, therefore God exalted him high his place and given the name above every other name and in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So that is, I mean, those are the primary passages. There might be a few others that they use, but those are some of the primary ones that people begin to um, look at within Christian universalism and how they get there, honestly, is, is actually pretty interesting. Like I, mm. I was pretty fascinated by the guy's talk um, and I get it. 
honestly, there's like a part of me that I was listening to him that I was like, I mean, I kind of hope that's true. Yeah. I actually don't believe it, but, yeah. but like there's a part of me, I'm like, I mean, I kind of hope that's true. Yeah. You know, um, but he, he sets up this interesting way to view scripture. He talks about how, you know, we all come to scripture with our own like bias, mm-hmm. you know, and cultural context and everything. And so he talked about how, um, we come into this idea of like, basically we want to see judgment in a certain way and restoration in a certain way. And so we look at these passages of like exile and punishment and restoration and certain, certain, in, in certain ways, like within the context of scripture. But his point is always like, what if the opposite is also true? Like we, we view like the sin first and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. like, why we need to be, he goes, but what if you started viewing it in light of restoration and the cross and everything and you started there mm-hmm. he goes maybe we'd start seeing some of these scriptures a little bit differently mm. so it's really interesting like in how he talked about the way to which he came in that you know he's like we view hell and punishment because of sin and we kind of feel the weight of that and like the cross saved us and everything he's like but what if you kind of started in the opposite direction yeah that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll move on to, um, you want to do annihilationism next or? Sure. Okay. I love that you like that word. I l- it's so metal. <laughs> annihilationism. <laughs> some um, of us would prefer conditionalism. Yeah. Well, <laughs> some of you are soft. Uh, so yeah. Um, conditionalism. Yeah. Um, contemporary theologians generally credit Arrhenius of Lyons, mm-hmm. um, who was a second century bishop, um, as sort of like the intellectual forefather of this concept. Um, so second century, pretty early again, yeah, very super early, early on. Um, he has like a real uh, weighty tome of a read uh, <laughs> that I did not read all the way through or at all. Um, it's a five volume work called against heresies, which again, they're just, I, I have to attribute it to, I guess, heavy metal of like, I love the like <laughs> aggressive language of like sure. against heresies. <laughs> Um, and he, he just emphasizes in that, that the soul is not inherently immortal, that eternal life is bestowed upon the good with the resurrection of Christ. Um, uh, and a quote is, it is the father who imparts continuance forever on those who are saved. So he was very early on, very into this idea that the Bible does not indicate that you have to go on forever, um, or that you're inherently eternal. I don't actually totally agree with that, but that's where conditionalism kind of started. Yeah. So I think one of the places that they start with, with that conversation is actually Genesis one. Mm-hmm. And they talk about how, you know, Adam and Eve needed the tree of life mm. in order for them to be immortal, basically. Ah, so you're not inherently created. Immortal. So you need, so you need God there. Like you need the tree of life. And so once that was fractured, mm-hmm. so it started that they needed it. And then once that was fractured, then, you know, death comes. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, I think we talked about this last time. Um, it all kind of just comes down to a couple of things. One is it just makes sense to me. And I know it's always sketchy when somebody says, well, it just makes sense to me. No Bible there. <laughs> um, it does make sense to me, though, that I think in order for you to have an eternal yes, you have to then have an eternal no. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have the ability to say no. Like um, the Bible says that, you know, the sort of unforgivable sin is the rejection of the Holy Spirit, which is the the eternal no. Right. I don't know what that looks like completely. I'm not going to claim to. Um, but like what does my yes to Jesus mean if there was never 
an eternal no. Yeah. Um, again, that's just that's so you know the quadrilateral, right? The where that's reason for me. That seems right. reasonable. Yeah. Um, biblically. There are a bunch of verses, but it kind of, we talked about it last time. It's so obvious that John 3.16 says, perish, perish, (laughs) die. I mean, like there's no version of that that I know of that has anything to do with eternal torment. Yeah. Um, For you, like this is kind of also where you land uh, is my understanding. Why does it make sense to you or like what's your kind of support for it? So for me, if I'm honest about my view on hell, Mm -hmm. it is I hope Christian universalism is true. Mm. And I want it to be. Yeah. But I believe conditionalism is or not. Yeah. So I in in that really is um I used to be kind of ECT, the eternal conscious torment. But I think the more I started reading and studying and then just reading some other perspectives and seeing people really dissect scripture is where I kind of just landed on you know what, I think this has more biblical credibility for me and how yeah. I see it. Um you know, for instance, I'll just read you like Malachi 4. It says this, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will uh, will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire. <laughs> says This is like crazy language. It says the Lord Almighty. Uh, Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with the healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. So even the language that's used there, for instance, is like not a root or a branch will be left there, right? Like it's like it's gone. The ashes, it's gone. Um, if you look at scripture passages like Isaiah 1, it in verse 31, it says, The mighty man will become tinder, and his work uh, a spark, but will burn together would, uh, with no one to quench the fire. So it's this idea of like this this all-consuming fire that like stuff is gone. Mm. You know, um, Jesus, um, or in Matthew 3, it says this. It says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's that word again. And so it's this idea of like if you're holding wheat and you put it in an unquenchable fire, it's gone. Hmm. Like it's it's totally gone. Second Peter 2, 6, it says, if you condemn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes so they're gone and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So he's comparing the idea of that to gone, you know, like it's just, yeah. it's gone. It's gone. Um, one of the most famous verses out of Romans is uh, for the wages of sin is death, right? Like it's, it's, it's gone. And it's keep it. going. The wages of sin is death. Go ahead. Yeah. And the eternal. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's the devil. The devil it's coming for Wages of sin is death. And the, I'm going to misquote it now because there's pressure, but the, um, the free gift of salvation? No, I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> You're right. Keep going. Yeah. Free gift of salvation is eternal life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in Christ, Jesus. I'll just keep going. Um, but yeah, they in that in Romans uh, six, there's a the way that those two words, death and life, are set up are as two yeah. sides of the same coin. <clears throat> I'm back. Um, all right. right, two sides of the same coin. It's so it's for the wages of death, but the gift. Right, gift. this gift of God, right, which is eternal life. Eternal life. Yeah. Um, I swear, you guys, I know I'm getting to know my Bible better and better. That was an underpressure. Sorry, situation. I had a little throat issue. Um, uh, and one thing for me too is, 
I often try to look at sort of John and Matthew, like the different gospels have mm-hmm. different sort of functions and uh, in a lot of ways. Um, they also serve the same function together, but um, Matthew and John are like at the beginning and end. And they're also written very differently mm-hmm. and for very different purposes and very different um, audiences. If they can, so like it's easy, easier to find agreement between Matthew, Mark and Luke than it is with John. Yeah. If Matthew and John agree on a thing, um, for me, that's good evidence. It's not like a, it's not like a steel, you know, post in the sand, sure. but, um, it's pretty good evidence. And, you know, in Matthew 10, 28, it's a, the word is destroy or kill. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer there. And then of course, John three sixteen parish Apollomai is to destroy. So it's like when those guys are in agreement, I usually take notice of whatever's, sure. you know, being said, um, and if I'm honest, and this is kind of a logical fallacy, part of the reason why this is where I land is based on the merits of the argument, but also based on what I perceive as the weaknesses of the other arguments. Um, yeah, there's some things about the other ones that don't feel right. Right. And I know you can't base that. <laughs> like, that's part of this, too. Like, you, we can't base our opinions of judgment and hell and everything off of what we feel, because like. Yeah. At the end of the day, God can do whatever he wants to do. Right. But there is like a part of it when you take kind of a holistic look at things, you know, some stuff you're just like, man, I don't know if that like matches up. Even even if you take revelation out of the equation, mm-hmm. because a lot of people point to revelation and we can read something from there for eternal conscious torment. But the truth is, is with the book of Revelation, there can't possibly be a more disputed book than that. Right. You know, so we, yeah, it's the least clear. Yeah, it's like we it's can at least agree unbelievably on the, unclear. Yeah. You know, so we can't like base our opinions on the end of something based off of that and ignore some of the realities of, you know, the other parts of scripture. Yeah. Um, so I think that pretty much sums up yeah. pretty pretty fairly the conditionalist or very much more heavy metal annihilationist <laughs> um, view. Um, all right. Well, so let's go ahead and move on to. Um, eternal conscious torment. Which this one's the most prominent one in Western. Yeah, I I think it definitely is the most prominent in Western culture, and I think there's a darn good reason for that. <laughs> um, Probably multiple reasons. Well, there's yeah. lots of good reasons, yeah, but yeah. I mean, like, it's not just Western. When we say Western culture, we're not just saying America. Yeah, we're saying like back from Rome. Correct. Uh, you yes. know, like so Saint Augustine of Hippo was. Um, I never, it never feels like hippo is the way you say that because that's hippopotamus, but I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Um, he was really, he, he wrote a document called city of God. Yeah. Um, that's a beautiful document, but it was really sort of like, this is where we got this idea of eternal conscious torment. And he admittedly was a platonist. He was a Plato guy. He Mm -hmm. really liked Plato. He even said like, Plato is the greatest of the like Gentile philosophers and, and Plato was super into this idea that like the soul can neither be created or destroyed, um, which also influenced a lot of what Einstein did. But the soul can never be created or destroyed. So like it has to go somewhere and do something mm-hmm. and then sort of add on top of that a lot of a lot of other non-Jewish, non, non-Christian, quote unquote, um, philosophy and art um, and then oh, some Christian art. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And we sort of get this idea of the very like scary Christian yeah. horror movie hell. Um, so St. Augustine, that was, I think four fifty ish. I might be wrong on my dates. Um, cause I, 
I don't have my notes in front of me, but St. Augustine was really like the start of that. And so after that, I think that there's no, I guess my main point is it's not a coincidence that wherever empire went and like Western expansion happened, ECT was the prominent view of hell because it's a fear based model Yeah, and fear keeps people in control, you know, helps to control people for sure. And I think, you know, now there is some scripture that like backs up the point of view, you know, that, um, where someone would come from with that. But I do think it's layered in with a lot of our humanity Mm -hmm. in terms of like how we think about punishing people and what would be right and everything too. And so, um, I'll just read a couple of passages that are typical kind of where it comes from, but revelation 14, Nine says this, the third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead and on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image um, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. I want to mosh as you read it. <laughs> so, so um, I think, you know, you, there's some passages like that. Um, even another one in Mark 9, it says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, this is like an interesting one, yeah. you know, um, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to um, enter life maimed than with two, hand, uh, with two hands and go into hell when the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Which is a reference. Is it Isaiah where the worm dieth not? Yeah. 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 Um, And then, of course, there's uh, the sheep and the goats. Is yeah. that in Matthew or Mark? Matthew. Yeah, Matthew. Sheep yeah. and the goats. The goats will be sent off to the lake of fire, yeah. prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah. So, like, there's there are there are some scripture passages that go off of now contextually. That's where it actually you have to get into the weeds because it's like, is this actually saying this or is it pointing to something else? You know, I grew up the worm like with the worms one and everything. <laughs> um, I mean, I I grew up with that image, yeah. and you know, as I shared earlier, it's just like, man, the fear-based image of hell was what kind of drove all the conversation, right? And um, and so I I mean, I remember sermons growing up being like, yeah, the worms are going to eat you for the rest of your life, and da. I mean, it was man, just that's yeah. gnarly. The way yeah, the worm yeah. dieth not. Well, and like you can see where if you take the Platonic idea that your soul can't be destroyed, right, and then this scripture then the logical conclusion would be, I guess you're just yeah. eaten forever, but you never die. So yeah, you consciously you yeah. have this gnarly torment. I'm uh, The new Dune movie came out. Big part of that movie is big, scary worms. So it really is hitting home <laughs> for me right now. Also worth noting, uh, I, oddly enough, never feel more seen by Jesus than when he does the, um, like, pluck your eye out, like tie a millstone right. around your neck. Because if you know me, you know I like to talk like that, where it's just like <laughs> something bad. You know, somebody like cuts me off in traffic, and I'm just like, that made me want to scream into the sun. <laughs> that made me want to cast myself into a lava, into a volcano. I uh, love Jesus, like being, what do you call, hyperbolic, like yeah. verbose, like that. It's strong. It's good. Well, you know, it's. I think that's a good point, though. Um, 
outside of the humorous element. Um, <laughs> it's a good point of like how to see scripture. Yeah. Because there is a lot of a lot of hyperbolic language in there, and yeah. scripture's hard to interpret sometimes, yeah. and it's hard to like really figure out where something's going. And so even when we talk about hell in this way and judgment and wrath and everything, for some people, like um, I've sat with people who you know, have gone through like trauma, Mm -hmm. like abuse and, you know, whatever. And, um, and the idea of someone being tormented forever, they actually kind of like the idea yeah, because there is a, uh, a reality. And I completely understand this, a trauma that has happened to them has been their living hell for their life. Mm -hmm. And so they think, so they, they would kind of process this as like a, well, it's only right that that person then burns in hell forever mm-hmm. and their entire eternal life mm-hmm. is that. Because yeah. they, they made my corporeal life Correct. hell. So they yeah. should, their afterlife should So when someone hell. says that, I was like, I get it. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I can't it. hold it against somebody. No. I, you know, even if that goes against how I feel, yeah. you know, hell is like, I, I, I totally understand why someone would come from that perspective. Well, and that's an important thing for us to get across though. Like no matter where you land on any of this stuff, if there's one thing that we can learn from the misuse of the eternal conscious torment, it's that it was not used pastorally in a wise way. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, if you're a conditionalist and somebody is talking to you about their trauma and says, I hope my rapist burns in hell, that is not the moment yeah. <laughs> to interject your theology. Like Paul tells us very clearly in First Corinthians, like you can have all the answers, but if you apply the answers without love, you have nothing. Yeah. You are but a clanging gong, right? Yeah. And so that's no matter where you land on this, that's something that's super important to be taken away is yep. that like how you apply what you think about this is super important. Yeah, for sure. Probably the most important Yeah, is <laughs> like how yeah. you use it rather than what, what it is you're using. Yeah. And I think too, even like as we're processing stuff like this within the context of the Bible, I do think like you have to, um, appreciate the challenge and beauty of scripture Yeah, and um, understand that, hey, just because something has been traditionally believed doesn't make it right, Mm -hmm. but it also doesn't make it wrong. Right. You know, and because sometimes like we live in particular now, we live in a culture where anything traditional (laughs) is wrong. Right. Um, But I do think we should challenge it. You know, and like really dive in and be like, maybe, maybe something was off or maybe something, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't mean it was wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think even in the midst of our approaches to stuff like this and content like this, it's like, hey, we have to make sure we're staying faithful to scripture. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that we at least understand that we're bringing our own emotion to it, Mm -hmm. you know, and we can't, this is hard, but like we can't let our emotions necessarily dictate yeah. how we view something it's that's super hard yeah but. well because i think if we did like you said earlier if you let your emotions dictate this you'd be a universalist because you yeah, feel absolutely. like that's that feels the best now that doesn't mean that everyone who's landed on christian universalism is just like the 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 dog you know the, the tail wagging the dog yeah you know letting their emotions lead that's not true either like some people who are universalists in their heart are like, but I really want to know that like Hitler is burning in hell forever, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. um, And and so like, they are also not necessarily led by their emotions. We have to be very careful in talking about being led by the spirit. We often, I think, misinterpret that as being led by how I feel. Right. But your feelings, your thought, I say this all the time to people, your feelings, your thoughts, your experiences, your emotions, what you've done, what's been done to you, what you've been taught, your ideas, these things are good 
but they're not the spirit. They're not your spirit. They're not yeah. your core that, you know, they're not the thing that communicates with the, the divine. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's important to keep in mind that as you're thinking through this, it is a mix of your rational brain, your emotional brain, your spiritual brain. Like, you know, it's a, it's a mix of all those different things, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, like, I think we can't deny that some realities in Scripture, no matter how, where someone falls on this, there is judgment. I would agree with that. And there, like, there is judgment. So it, it, no matter what angle someone takes, like, you can't get around the fact that there is some kind of judgment. Yeah. There is some kind of justice. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. I mean, in John, Jesus says that, you know, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. The word that I spoke will be the judge. Like, you know, people will condemn themselves by the words that I speak, not by who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said for that. There will be judgment. But I guess I kind of land on like God allows us to be our own judge. And a lot of uh, if you live a life of separation and you live a life of no of, sure. of the, you know, then at the end, you can't expect that you'll suddenly say yes. Like you can have a transformative moment in your physical life when you're existing in time. But um, the the sort of like fruit, the, the seeds that you plant throughout your life, I think that people have this misconception that, oh, so like Ted Bundy can just like get to the gates and be like, oh, never mind. I want to go to heaven. Right. It's like, well, no, he spent his whole life doing evil. Yeah. Like being so immersed in evil that he was a monster. Yeah. So on that last day, on the judgment day, he's going to say the eternal no, because that's what he's been prepped for. That's what he's prepped himself for. Yeah. And even in that, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I don't really know. It's not for me I know, to say. I know. Like, there's like, I, I go back and forth with a lot. I mean, honestly, like, yeah. there's like a part, like, whether it's Ted Bunny or whoever you want to yeah. use, it's yeah. like, there's we like. always have to use extremes. I, I know. Like, I know. There's like a, there's a, a part of me that's like, well, man, if something wrecked his heart. Yeah, maybe he was just the sick. day before yeah. and like the day before he dies and some something wrecked his heart and he came to this unbelievable knowledge of Christ yeah. as savior. I, it's it, it is like there's like just a part of me that's like, well, I actually do believe God's that big and his grace is that big and yeah, I understand judgment and wrath and justice yeah. and God works that all out. And you even, know, I don't know. Even in that, there's a sort of hell that comes to that. Like, I think that, um, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, imagine one day you woke up and just realized that every ant you ever stepped on was, had a consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> like, you would, you'd go insane with the guilt. I mean, like, you'd go sure. insane realizing that you committed genocide not knowing yeah. it, you know, because they were actually little people, you know, or whatever. Like, yeah. you would have to, there's still a moment of judgment in which, like, you have to reckon if you have that big moment. Yeah. And you're somebody who has done a life of evil. Ah, man. <laughs> like you yeah, basically live a lifetime of hell in a, in a day or, or whatever. You yeah. Know, there's that reckoning. But even in that, at the end of the day, man, like vengeance, you're right. Like vengeance. I know. Is I just, the yeah. There, like, there's a, there's a piece of it that it's, some of it's hard to reconcile in our humanity. Yeah. But there's like just this piece that I'm kind of like, that's why I said earlier that like, emotionally I probably want to be a, a Christian universalist, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, I'm not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there, like I said, there's a part of me that hopes that's true, right. you know? Um, but I don't know. It's yeah. like an interesting, yeah, it feels like I have like a couple more questions. So I'm going to leave the door open for us to do one more part. Cause we are coming up on our time. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm not going to promise a part three. <laughs> but if you log on in a couple of weeks uh, and there is a part three, don't be surprised because I've got some more questions. But they might just be like John and I doing the weird thing where we talk into the microphones and don't record it. (laughs) Um, But in the meantime, thanks to everyone for joining us for the second part on heck. Um, If you have questions, comments, concerns, quips, or quotes, it would be mind blowing to think that nobody has questions. Um, You can email them to stay curious uh, at hillcityrva.com. You can DM us on Instagram um, where you can also follow us. Instagram.com slash stay curious pod. Um, and you, um, can rate and review us and share the episode to get other people in on the conversation. And until next time, remember as always to stay curious. curious.